Well, we had Thanksgiving last week, and I know some of you probably posted on Facebook or social media or talked about this with your families around the table of what you were thankful for during Thanksgiving. And I can tell you what I'm thankful for. I am so very thankful that I am a Christian and have hope. Hope in eternal life. I mean, when I look at pictures of myself when I was a kid growing up, teenage years, early 20s, whatever, I mean, I was on a road that did not have hope. But that got turned around by the Holy Spirit and I am so thankful that I am not going that way anymore. Now, I have a dear, sweet uncle who recently passed away. And his wife, my aunt, is, has severe dementia, so she doesn't know that he passed away. But anyways, my cousin called me, I'm, and I'm talking to her. And, and, you know, my side of the family is not very religious, not many Christians, but I don't know about my cousin, but apparently my uncle, you know, might have had some sort of faith towards the end. But one of the last things he said to my cousin was if Doris isn't in heaven, that's my aunt, if, if she's not in heaven, I don't want to go there. And I thought, wow, what a powerful statement of love, right? That a husband would love his wife so much that if she weren't going to go to heaven, he wouldn't want to be there if she's not there. Very powerful. Now, you know I love Jill very much, and I don't have to worry about that because she has faith. But you know, if she didn't, I would be like, you know what, honey? <laughs> you can stay here. You can be left behind. But I am going to heaven. Yeah, I love you. But so I am so thankful that I am a Christian. And I'm so thankful for the gift of the child born in Bethlehem. Aren't you? I mean, isn't this what Advent and Christmas is all about? We're going to hear more about Jesus as we get closer to Christmas. So on this first day of Advent, we're, we're going to look more closely at the promise of the Messiah and the hope that he brings as it's, as it's spoken by through Paul in his letter to the Romans. And I have to say that, you know, when you read Paul's talking about the hope that we have in Romans or in any of his letters, you know, it's difficult language. It's hard to follow sometimes because he speaks in a way that you and I don't speak to each other nowadays. I'd also have to say that after seven Advent seasons, it's becoming my favorite time. It's becoming my favorite time of the church year, even, even more than Easter, I think. And you know that I love babies, but I love that babe born in Bethlehem too because he is a gift to us. He's not, he's, uh, not just your average, average baby. We don't have to raise him. We don't have to feed and care for him. He does that for us. See, and that's the really neat thing. It's remarkable when you think about it. And while the people of Israel waited for Jesus to arrive with, either longing, with, with eager longing, we too wait for him to arrive. Not to be born again as a baby. He's not going to do that. But the same way in which he departed from his friends. You know, he's going to come back through the clouds from heaven. And I don't know about you, but I long for that day because that'll be the day when all my disappointments, all my foolish pride, and my problems will be no more. And yours won't be a problem either. And it happens to all of us, doesn't it? Inside of us is a feeling 
More than that, it's a conviction that what we experience right now is just never enough. We long for something more and something better. Great poets and thinkers have have noticed this and written about this, about humanity, a a deep longing for what we don't have, but what we know is, is out there, must be out there. You know what I mean. Usually they're talking about love, a relationship, perhaps a meaningful job or purpose in life, peace. The Apostle Paul sees it as universal when he writes in Romans, especially verse 19, that all creation is waiting with eager longing. All creation. And it can happen in sickness and terror or deep disappointment too. We, we sense that somewhere in time or beyond it, there has to be more and it has to be better. It's not surprising to hear Paul say, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be real, revealed in us. In verse 18. It can also happen in moments of joy. A, at a proposal for marriage, the birth of a child, when family gets together and everything is just right. We may even say, it doesn't get any better than this. Yet when that moment is passed, we quickly wonder when the next moment will come, expecting it to be even more fulfilling. It's as if we have here and now, it's as if that's only a shadow of what is to come. It's as if earth is begging for heaven and we live in the middle of in-between. And just here, in this place, is where Christian hope is to be found. In the in-between part, in the waiting. I know you don't like waiting. (laughs) None of us do. Paul mentions hope repeatedly in these verses from Romans chapter 8. Anticipating something more and better, but we wait and we imagine and we believe and we grow in character. These are some of the things of Christian hope. Waiting, imagination, faith, and character. When we hope, we don't have what we've been promised or expect yet. So we must wait. Not like we're in a waiting room or, you know, like we sit and read magazines or we take a nap, but as in a contest calling for endurance or a war that's still going on. That kind of waiting. Paul likens it to the waiting of a mother in labor. You know, that's active waiting. It is ancient Israel waiting for the Messiah with all its prophecies and sacrifices along the way. Hope means time passing. And we've, we've got to wait. But for what? What are Christians waiting for? Well, Paul says it in verse 21. For the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Oh, that sounds like lofty language, I know. What does that all mean? Also 23, for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. All of that and more will be ours at the return of Jesus Christ. So whatever we know about freedom and glory or being God's children and being redeemed now, whatever you know about that now, pales in comparison to what is still yet to come. And that's good news. There is more ahead in Christ and it's better 
as we just wait for it. And when we hope, we cannot see, as Paul writes in verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? On the way down to Camp Lutherwood Friday evening before last, not long before the guy behind us crashed into us, uh, some of the girls in the youth group were talking about art and how some of them like it and how some of them don't, but they appreciate what it means to, you know, the larger picture of humanity. And the interesting thing about art is you don't necessarily have to stand in front of an actual painting to see something. You can imagine it, right? Use your imagination. So imagine, imagine a woman blindfolded with tattered clothes clinging to one last unbroken string on her harp. She can't see, but she keeps playing and listening, longing for something. I know, it's a strange image, right? But it's a famous painting. Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. From John 20, verse 29, We cannot see Christ now as he really is. We can see signs of his presence. We can see evidence of his love. We can see him at work in our lives. The time will come, though, when we will see him with, and every eye will see him face to face. For now we may not see, but we can certainly imagine. And I know we've all imagined it in different ways, in different images. Our hope is nourished by our imagination. God has given us an imagination to hope and anticipate all that he's done for us. So the prophet Isaiah is presenting hope. And this was in um, that, uh, that gospel reading where Jesus talks about Isaiah. Isaiah is presenting hope in a picture after picture, image after image of what lies ahead for you and me. And the New Testament does the same. I mean, consider the book of Revelation, right? A treasure impossible to, to read without the imagination being triggered. In fact, it's usually almost too much imagination. And this lack of sight where hope is concerned comes because hope is so tightly compared to faith and connected to faith. And this is the other thing about Christian hope. You know, we trust we, we, we wait, we imagine, and we trust. And the writer to the Hebrews defines faith as the stuff of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith and hope are partners. And faith gives hope its, I don't know, its filling, its substance, I guess, its stuff. Faith roots what we imagine in the sure promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Faith tells hope I know we're missing something. This can't be all there is. This isn't the whole story. But God has promised more. God has promised better. And I want to add one last contributor to hope. Well, actually, it, it's not an original, it's not my original idea. It's Paul's. It's character. And he says that in Romans chapter 5. Verses 3 through 4, Paul writes that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. 
Now, I don't know if any of you saw online, on the online news websites this last week, but a story was run for about a day from England. A father sent into the news sites a photograph he'd taken of his six-year-old daughter in the hospital with cancer. And the picture was difficult to look at. Again, you know, like art, you can imagine what this was looking, looked like. I don't want to show it to you on the screen. But, you know, a girl crying in pain. Not a pretty sight. The purpose was, the dad said, look, I, I know people are going to criticize me for sending in this picture, but my purpose here is so that others are aware of the need for a cure for cancer, especially children's cancer. And the other interesting thing about that is that the father had hope. Now here's what he said. My hope is that my, my daughter will one day sprout wings and be with the angels. Now sadly, that's not Christian hope. Because the Bible says nothing about us becoming angels, right? We're human. Angels are angels. They're not human. But the father had hope. It's not surprising in England. It's a pretty secular country over there. They pretty much lost the plot with their Church of England. But we can hope and pray that this father would have Christian hope for himself. His daughter died, but um, uh, nevertheless, there's hope. What we can learn through this, though, what we can learn through suffering is that God can be trusted. He can be trusted, and I know sometimes that that's hard to imagine. So it is that God gives us time, imagine, imagination, faith, and even hardships. When these come together, we have hope. And not just a wish, not even just a prayer, but Christian hope. And this is how hope works. Paul writes in Colossians 1.27, Hope as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is our hope. His sacrifice on the cross, His love, His power, His wisdom, His victory over death, His promises, His constant presence, Christ in you gives you hope. And this hope, unlike so many other gifts, will never disappoint. I know, Paul's language, his style, his structure can be difficult to follow, but all this today, this first Sunday in Advent, is meant to reawaken your hope in Jesus, to anticipate his arrival. It's like the baby's out there and he's getting closer again. Our little season of Advent in the church every year, you know, it'll last for four weeks. Four weeks will wait until Christmas, but the second Advent, you know, the big one, the main one that's still coming, where Jesus will arrive again in all His power and glory to take us to Himself and the place that He's prepared for us, we also wait for that. And so, my friends, we wait together. Amen. And may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.